Okay, this is my last uh, chance to be with you. Uh, excuse me, that's not so. To share with you. Um, I really appreciate our last time together. I felt that uh, everyone contributing, we had, I, I wouldn't say a discussion, but there was a lot of input from you. And so today I hope to multiply on, on that. Uh, I do need to warn you that the questions are a little bit more difficult this time. But this time uh, we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about Colossians chapter three, very practical Christian life. In other words, this is where the rubber meets the road, um, and it can be very difficult. I'd like to remind us of what we talked about that uh, Paul shared that his purpose in ministry is this, and we proclaim him. In other words, Jesus admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And we looked last week, well, at the first week, we looked at the uh, preeminence of Christ, especially the fact that he's the creator, the firstborn of all creation, uh, the firstborn from the dead, the redeemer, and the one who loves us and died for us. Then, Paul, last week we looked at chapter 2, which is pretty much a different form of Galatians. In other words, we do not live by the law. Galatians is really don't get circumcised. But Colossians 2 is just whatever the rules might be. We don't live by the law. And especially there was a key verse that said these festivals or these uh, rules and regulations really are, are of no value against the indulgence of the heart of the flesh. And we ended uh, last week with this example of which way are we facing? Are we facing, are we seeking the things above? Is our face set towards God and following him imperfectly, falling down, getting on wrong paths? But are we facing this way towards God, heading towards him, his kingdom, and his righteousness? Or are we faced towards ourselves or, or towards the world? And that's where we ended. Now, I had promised you a talk on prayer, and we're not going to get there. <laughs> Very sorry, but I can, we're not even going to get through, we'll get through two-thirds of chapter three, because this is really where, as I said before, where the Christian life, what are we trying to do? And by we, I mean myself and all of us. In light of who Christ is, in light of all that he's done for us, how are we trying to live this life? And Paul gives some instructions. So let me uh, pray and ask God to bless our time. And then we'll start. Lord, again, we bow before you as the author and the finisher of our faith and of our salvation. Things which are a mystery to us are not to you. You are here in our midst. You are here indwelling us, each and every one of us. And so we ask you to speak to us, speak to our hearts that we not only understand, but this week and in coming weeks, we would walk with you, live for you, and be the light shining in the darkness that is here. So again, I ask for your spirit to fill us, to fill me, give me the words to say, and we will trust that you are doing this because of Jesus, and we pray in his name, amen. So after Paul says, um, seek the things above, he goes on to say, Put to death sinly passions. Put to death, therefore, the therefore is because, because we have died, we'll get to that, and uh, have risen with Christ. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, or greed, in a different translation, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So we've left now the preeminence of Christ. We left this, this glorious thing of seeking the things above, and all of a sudden now we're right down to it. The darkness that can be in our hearts, and our soul, of putting to death these, what I have called, sinful passions. He also goes on to say, I'm skipping verse 7, he says, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid, a self, laid aside the old self with its evil practices. So not only talking about evil passions, but talking about, excuse me for the expression, evil emotions. The anger, the slander, the malice, the things that are part of our daily lives, if we're honest, and not lying to one another. So now I have some questions. Actually, I have more than three, but I didn't change my outline here. So if Paul had just said, these are matters, in other words, the festivals and the laws and the rules and regulations, these are matters which are of no value against fleshly indulgence. We simply turn the page to chapter 3, and he says, well, put to death this, and put to death this, and put to death this, and put, th put you know, don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do this, right? That's what we just read. So is this simply a new law? Are we under the law? Is my question, let's start with this. Is my question clear? <laughs> yes? No? Yes. Okay. So, is this simply a new law? Uh, yes, this is your turn. <laughs> Okay, so recipe, guidelines, framework, great words. Oh, sorry, that was a sewing move, not a raising of hand. <laughs> I wonder if it's different to say put to death than, than don't do it. The put to death business, I mean, I have a real hard time with that. I agree with you. I think it's different than just follow these rules as opposed to put to death. And I have to tell you, I've spent a lot of time praying and meditating on that very thing. What on earth does that mean? Last person, then we'll go on. Well, I just, Malcolm. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Thank you. We have to move on. I have three parts or two parts to my answer here. We just read, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. This is important. It's on account of the things, the things that we experience sometimes, being caught up in some kind of immoral passion or whatever it might be. These are very real to us. And part of the, what Paul is saying is, 
The fact that we have died and risen with Christ doesn't give us the freedom, and this would be actually the next verse from Galatians, doesn't give us the freedom to be indulgent. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, and this is obviously not in the original that it's underlined, this is me underlining, so that you may not do the things that you please. This verse has had a significant impact in my life because I protested against the struggle and I protested against the battle. And why does it have to be so hard? And yet Paul is writing and saying, you are free, you are free to obey, and you weren't before. And we, are, we have been set free uh, by Christ, but that doesn't give us the freedom to do whatever we want. When I look at those words that were there before the immorality and the other, I'm thinking of this is the opposite of God's character. And so when Paul says, put these things to death, it's because we're pursuing God, we're pursuing those things that are in heaven where Christ is, we're pursuing that character that God himself has. And that's why these things, this immorality or these passions, these evil passions, not all passions, these evil passions need to be put to death. Does that make sense? That's the why of it. Uh, Paul, goes, Paul had said, we read last week, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then he just said, put to death. So my question is, if I am dead, why do I have to put to, dead, to death these sinful passions? What, how do you combine these two verses? And again, this isn't theoretical. This is where we live. How do these two verses combine? I'm already dead. Romans says, I've died with Christ, I've been buried with Christ, I've been raised to newness of life. And all of a sudden, and Paul here says, your life is hidden with Christ and God, you've died. And yet he's telling you now, you need to put these sinful passions to death. Any thoughts? Or am I losing you? Dan. Okay, he was there when I was preparing this. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Right. Or has God at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure? I want you to repeat that. Let me read the whole verse and then you repeat because I didn't include verse 14. Oh, no, I did. So just as Dan said, uh, Paul says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation. So when Paul says, put to death these passions, this is what he's saying. This salvation has been done. It has been accomplished for you. And now it is up to you to begin to live this salvation, this sanctification out. And you are going to work it out. It says with fear and trembling. Now, a lot of people have problem with this. Why fear and trembling? Quite simply, the next word is for or since. With fear and trembling, for it is God. Because of the one who indwells you, because of the one who loves you and has called you and redeemed you, but because of who he is, there is not only tremendous love and freedom to say, Abba, Father, but there's also a tremendous awe and even reverence. I think of John on the island of Patmos, who sees the, ris the risen Christ. And what is his response when he sees the risen Christ? Remember, he was the beloved disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And what was his response when Jesus appeared to him? He fell on his face almost speechless, 
overcome with the glory and majesty of God. And so for us, it is both of these things. It's not either or. It is God is fearsome and terrible to behold. And God is tremendously compassionate and loves us, knows the very number of hairs that are numbered on our head, knows the very things we're going through, the problems we're dealing with, the conflicts, the hurts, the pains. And he is concerned and with us in all of this. So as Dan has said, this putting to death is part of working out our salvation. God has provided it. He's accomplished it through Christ's death on the cross. And now we're going to live it out so that the world can see what this looks like. One more question. So how do we put to death that which is earthly? Kind of Jim's question, right? What exactly does that mean? Well, I just want to remind us of Romans 8.13, where Paul writes, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is not a new law. I like the word Malcolm used. It's not a new proposition. It is the Spirit of God. And we do this not in our own power, but by the Spirit of God. Now this is, results in some confusion with people. Um, what does that mean by the Spirit? And I'd like to share two words that, I, that have helped me, and I hope that they'll help you. It's very simple and extremely profound. The first is submit. If I am living by the Spirit, it means I've submitted my will to Christ. His, just as Jesus prayed in the garden, that is the example. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I've submitted my will, regardless of the cost. But most of us know that. I think you've heard me say before I come from a Baptist background, I've been through so many altar calls to come down front and dedicate my life to Christ, and I can't remember how many times I actually responded, but more than once. Um, it's not just commitment or submitment. The biggest thing with by the Spirit is trust and dependence. Is that rather than thinking this is something I must do, it is the attitude of this is something I can't do, and Lord, I need you to live your life through me. And I'll share an example, uh, a very concrete example of that later. But the biggest issue of putting to death these passions is trust in the Spirit, that He indwells us and His power is available to us. We're going to see more of that later on, but if you could remember those two words, submit and trust, or submit and dependence, to depend on. Then how do we put to death what is earthly? Point two, uh, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. I phrase this this way. You need to starve the flesh. Don't make a provision. Don't give an opportunity. And now it just gets real practical. What are you watching? What are you reading? I've come to realize that even PG movies, even PG-13, R, whatever, even if there's no what we might call scenes that we shouldn't be watching, the whole values in the movie could be, and very often are, worldly values and not godly values. And so part of putting to death, at least from my standpoint, is, is just starving it, not giving the flesh the sights or the thoughts, whether I'm reading or even in conversation, what am, what am I talking about, what am I'm involved in conversation with other people, is it really reflecting God's character? 
because the things I see can excite those passions. And then it becomes much harder to put them to death when they've been excited. The things I'm hearing, the things I'm thinking about. There's a passage in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 10, where Paul says, we take captive every thought to Christ. Now that might seem a little narrow, but on the other hand, it is part of this concept that Brother Lawrence uh, made popular of practicing the presence of God, that my thoughts are actually prayers to God, that I am fellowshipping with God as I walk through the day and guarding the thoughts because all kinds of strange things can come out of my heart. Maybe not yours, but definitely out of mine. So first is trust and dependence on God's spirit. And second is make no provision for the flesh. Simply starve it. And then third, I don't have a verse. If there are areas in your life where you've committed and you're depending and you fall and you get up, you confess your sin, you get up, you walk with God, you're submitted, you're depending, and you fall, and this cycle repeats itself and repeats itself and repeats itself ad nauseum, at least in my life, it was ad, I was so sick of it. Maybe there are things that are driving you and that this surface passion, whatever it might be, immorality or some of these other things mentioned there, is really just a surface symptom of a root cause. And there are two things, I think, that drive us, excuse me, there's many things that, are, that drive us, but two things I'd like to mention this morning. I've dealt, unfortunately, no, I shouldn't say unfortunately, it's just part of the ministry. I've worked with Christian leaders, and I work with them often, and I get involved in their lives. How are they doing with the Lord? How are they doing at home with their wives? How are they doing with their kids? How are they doing with money? Well, now we're getting a little, you know, flaky. And now, how are they doing with the internet, which has made temptation for men and women more readily available than ever before? And what I've discovered is, it's not a sexual temptation. It's a lack of intimacy. And that's what's driving people. Unless you're a 19-year-old boy. Having been a 19-year-old teenager, no, it's just flat-out lust. But after the age of 25, it's a lack of intimacy. And it's not just men. It's women. We were created to be in relationship. I'm not talking just about husband and wife, although that's definitely part of it. But this should be a community. And our small groups, Mary, where are you? <laughs> she was here. Mary is organizing. If you're not part of a small group, I would strongly encourage you. Our small group started slowly, but eventually it became community. Would you agree, Jim? Yes, it really did. And Malcolm, really caring for each other. And we were only just scratching the surface. We are called to community, and it's the lack of that connection with other people that will drive us to see, to find false intimacy someplace else. And it's not just pornography. There's something called inappropriate emotional attachment, which I've seen happen in office places more than you can possibly imagine, including Christian office places, is where someone who's married is getting their emotional fulfillment in a relationship at work or in some other place. And they're getting too close to that person instead of doing the hard work of getting that emotional attachment with the spouse, male or female. This doesn't know any gender. I've seen it break up marriages 
and it's uh, from by Christian of Christian leaders, and so we need to be aware of what is driving us. Yes. Right. Um, and that work employs toil, sweat, a real effort. Um, and I think that those worldly passions and those simple nature, mm-hmm. he chose it specifically. The, the, those authors that wrote those passages mm-hmm. um, chose it specifically to make him um, commit to that It is. I would love to respond, but I'm going to run out of time. That's a very good point. There's one other thing that I'd like to mention. But first, let me remind you, the lack of intimacy will cause us to do things that we will regret. And putting them to death sometimes means addressing the root issue of getting involved in community in this church or another church or body of believers, but a place where it's safe, and where you can eventually share and talk about the things that are really going on, the fears or the hurts or the the desires which are not holy. And finding that, when you find that connection, I've experienced it, when I find that connection with other believers that, you know what, they truly understand and they're willing to be part of this, that gives me the motivation to say no to those passions. The second thing that happens that I think drives us is what is sometimes called now pain management. That we have been injured in our lives by a parent, by both parents, by a sibling, by best friends, and I hate to say this, sometimes by children, um, and sometimes there are real heart wounds. And we do things simply to try to avoid dealing with that pain. And when when I think about putting to death these evil passions, in my life I realize, and simply wouldn't be appropriate to give you very specific examples, but in my life I realize that what's going on is pain management. Even if you're married, that doesn't, if anything, that opens you up to more pain because you're now becoming completely vulnerable. And I disappointed Gosha, sometimes terribly. She's not here, so I'm not allowed to say that she disappointed me, but... (laughs) That's just normal. She's not perfect. I'm not perfect. It means I have imperfect desires and and wants, and she had imperfect desires and wants. And that pain can drive us to do things that do not please God. Not that he's judging us and holding a hammer over us. It's simply that he himself weeps with us, but he doesn't want us to deny his holiness because it will only lead to more pain. It'll only lead to more hurt. So in putting to death, these are just three thoughts of mine, is uh, Mark.
that is hard work to do that, but we don't think of it in that sense, right? I would agree. I've had the experience of being able to give it up, give it to the Lord, and it stays there. And I've had the experience of, Lord, I can't handle this, I give it to you. And 30 seconds later, no, it's back here again, and so I'm giving it again and, and again. But that's a process. That's the hard work, and it's part of the process of God conforming our lives. I thought I heard to the image of Jesus. I thought I saw a hand over here. So there's much more that could be said. Henry. Right. I found really encouraging and helpful. No, that's that's great. Taking a step, Lord willing, will come later. But the single step, and I'm I should have actually put this in the notes. It helped me to realize in these areas where I'm weak is to stop worrying about never doing this for the rest of my life. God, give me the grace for today, and I'm not even going to think about tomorrow because that tomorrow that's a pressure. I'm not I'm not that person. How how am I supposed to be that person? But today, to resist that, whatever it is, that somehow, and that's what Jesus said, you know, just the, the problems are enough for today. I want you to compare now, Colossians 3, 8. He says, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside, aside the old self with its evil practices. I can't put it up on the screen, but why does he say, put to death these evil passions, and yet here he just says, put them aside? Is it just a literary thing, really has no meaning, or is, there, is Paul actually trying to say something here? Put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, etc. Okay, I'll answer my... Rich, thank you. <laughs> I'm really working with this, and you know why. Yes. Yeah, Rich is going to ask me out for breakfast and then rake me over the coals for everything I said. <laughs> I, I did last week. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> um, assuming that they do mean something different, right. it's almost like because I have died, I am now able to lay aside that which I'm going to be confronting for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. that's, that, that's how I read that. I, I agree. I think there's also a difference... And that when it comes to passions, it's, Paul is very sharp about this. It's on, on account of these things, the wrath of God will come. This is 100% against God's character. Here, these are emotions, not passions. And anger is simply the normal emotional reaction to having our goals blocked. And you're going to have anger probably every day. <laughs> Especially if you were like my wife who had a plan every day and then something would come along, usually her husband, but someone would come along and interrupt her plan and that was really tough for her. I have different plans or different desires. Even think about any relationship. It may be that we simply have a plan or, or a, a goal. I think I should say not plans, but it's our goals being blocked. 
I have a goal to be respected in this relationship. Someone says something that doesn't really give respect to me, then my anger comes up naturally. And I don't think that's going to change. That is a normal emotional reaction to our goals being blocked. The goal to be loved or the goal to feel accepted or respected or whatever it might be. Dan. Let me expand on that. Christ is our model, and we don't usually do this, but Philippians 2 should be part of that model, that he emptied himself. That means he took his plans and dreams and desires and goals, and he set them aside and emptied himself in order to take on God's will for his life, which was humbling himself completely, becoming a man, a person, and taking the form of a servant, and even taking on our sins and dying the shameful death on a cross. But the first step had to be that he had put his dreams and goals and desires, I think this is what you're saying, Dan, aside under God's, the Father's control, and then he follows the Father's will. So when he says put them aside, I agree with Dan that, well, actually, I had a little demonstration. Remember last week when I said that, you know, missionary kids talk about great things, including which father is the angriest of all, and, um, and I said I won, and you all took it wrong. I, <laughs> I, I actually was supposedly one of the less angry, which I said was completely shocking and such bad news because it's a fair amount of anger uh, here. So when I had a situation once, it wasn't with our family. I was under a lot of pressure from our leadership. You know, if you've been there, if you if you worked or the leadership completely didn't understand, didn't trust me, misinterpreted everything I said, accused me of things that weren't true, all the things that normally go on in a Christian organization. Um, and it didn't help that they were two time zones away and saw me about three times a year to come in and put the hammer down. So in the midst of this tremendous pressure, from, and by the way, it wasn't just theoretical. They actually said, we're replacing you. We just don't have anyone yet. We're going to do a worldwide search. Um, you know, just all these encouraging and affirming <laughs> things. Um, they never did find anyone to replace me because no one was stupid enough to move to Moscow. But that's a different <laughs> issue. Um, in this tremendous pressure, I had someone underneath me reporting to me who, he wasn't half my age. He just felt like half my age. And... Um, had accomplished, I mean, his ministry had, was a ministry of taking surviving of healthy ministries and shrinking them down to nothing. And, uh, oh, I'm quite serious. Uh, and in a conversation, I won't get into the details, he tremendously disrespected me and did not give me any respect that I deserved simply as an older brother in the Lord and as his director, uh, etc. And I walked away without reacting, and then the more I thought about it, the angrier I got. 
And it got to, I waited a week to call him because I wanted to calm down. And I called him a week later to confront him. And to my embarrassment and really shame, I still ended up yelling at him. I was so angry. So maybe you've been there. I, I give this as an example that I assume most of you, unless you are truly laid back, dude, man. <laughs> I assume most of you have had those kind of angers. So here's my visual rep representation. He says here, put them aside or put them off. And then in Colossians uh, 3, he says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So is it in the midst of this tremendous anger, is it really just this simple, you know? Just take a, you think I'd wear a black sweater to church on purpose? Come on. Is it really as easy you just take it aside? I really wish I had a white sweater for this, but I don't. But anyways, and put on God's character? Is it that simple? There you go. Thank you, Dan. Dan's really supporting me today. No. Okay, silly example with the sweaters, serious question. Is it this simple? So what comes to mind as you do that is the power of a uniform or something we put on for work. You know, when I come home, I change out of my clothes, mm -hmm. not just to save my work clothes, <laughs> but in an effort to not make my kids suffer through what the professor father does throughout the day. <laughs> um, or my wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's sort of the issue of identity, right? No, no one can get to you. We're, we're running out of time, and I have two more points I have to make. So, well, to answer the question, going back to what you said about tearing up the roots, right. that's really hard, and that's not just a sweater change. Um, it makes me think of you know, the, the scene in Dawn Treader with the uh, shedding the dragon skin. Like, right. Now let me shed the dragon skin for you. Right. And going much deeper than you could have ever imagined. And I think it's hard for us because we are, you know, I'll say I am so simple. And so deceitful, and I lack such self awareness that it takes me a lot of time to figure out what those roots actually are. Mm -hmm. I really have to move on. I know we could go, oh, I asked Father Martin, can we start the service late? No, just, just joking. <laughs> no, well, well, we'll finish a couple minutes. Really need to go on. There's lots of answers to this. And I have experienced that sometimes I've called out to the Lord, Lord, I can't do this. I cannot treat this person with the compassion or kindness that's here. I need your compassion and kindness. And the switch has flipped. I have experienced that. And I'm able to take a step back and look with distance and say, and look at this person as God looks at him. And there are times I haven't been able to, to be quite honest. I've called out to the Lord and it somehow I feel just as angry or just as full of bad words as you know the other, all the things we read there. Um, and I haven't felt that switch. And here's my take on this. I notice here it says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now it is wrong to pick out one of these because they're all important. But this was my mistake in that particular situation. His name was Eric. You'll never meet him. It doesn't matter. But in that week, rather than trying to get a, over or trying to get a handle on my anger, wrong approach. That was me doing it. I needed to forgive Eric. 
from the heart. And if that was impossible, I needed to say, Lord, I can't forgive him. You forgive him through me because you have forgiven me so much. My thoughts are evil. My heart is evil. And yet you've given me a new heart, a new, a new nature. And you have forgiven all my sins. And therefore, I can forgive Eric. Or I can forgive my wife. Or I can forgive my child or my bosses, whoever it might be. Because you indwell me and you can forgive them through me. And that's, I've experienced that with this, this leadership which treated me so badly that I had people also from Budapest, one rung down, that's where our headquarters is, coming in and saying, why are you still here? No one takes this kind of abuse. I would have left a long time ago. Why are you still here? And I did experience that of being able to forgive being improperly treated. I had one person say, you, if you weren't a Christian, you could sue these people what they're doing to you in terms of practices in the workplace. But we're not to sue, we're to forgive and pray for them. This is what I'm trying to say, it is of the spirit. First what Dan said, you've left it all there on the altar. You've, you've, you've put it all there, he is Lord. And then you like Corrie Ten Boom, when she was confronted, she speaks about forgiveness after, it, everyone know who Corrie Ten Boom is? I hope, you know, it survived Auschwitz and is traveling around Germany preaching forgiveness and then one of the guards, not some anonymous guard, but a guard who abused her and her sister and her sister died from the abuse of, well, the whole experience and he's come to faith and he's reaching out his hand towards her and say, isn't it wonderful? What you say is true. He has forgiven me, even me. And she said, I couldn't lift my hand to shake his hand. I couldn't do it. When I, all that came to mind was all these terrible images of what had gone on in that concentration camp and the humility and the degradation. And I just quickly prayed, Lord, I can't forgive him. Forgive him through me. And she said it was like an electric jolt coming through. This is the step I wanted to get to. All these things here, because we are running out of time, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, we claim them by faith and then we take a step of faith. Don't just sit and wait for the emotions to change because they probably want. In spite of the emotions, we go to that person and offer forgiveness or compassion or patience. And it is going. Think about the people that Jesus healed, the lepers, and he said, go show yourself to the priest. And it's quite clear. It says, and as they were going, they weren't healed. They took Jesus at his word. They took the steps of faith. And as they were going, that's when they were healed. And that is so much of our Christian life, taking steps towards your spouse to say the words of compassion rather than the angry words, and you'll find that God will give you the strength. And we could go on and on with examples. It is by the Spirit. It is not a new law. It is a chance to reflect God's character by His Spirit who lives in us. Grace towards us, and we respond in faith. Really quickly. This is from Exodus. I'll just read it. I have shared this before. It's so important to me. I just want to share it again. So he, Moses, was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai. And the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands as he was coming down from the mountain. That Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. 
So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. God gave me this verse when I fasted. I'd, I was hoping to fast 40 days. Uh, the fast lasted 17 days, and by that time I was down to skin and bones, and the Lord said, uh, this is over, you're done, and here's what I want you to learn. He said, Moses, you can go 40 days without eating. You won't come down with your face shining. You will be weak and on the point of death if you go 40 days without eating, but you can do that. But you can only go three to five days, and five is extreme. It's more like three or four days of going without water. And yet here it says Moses didn't either drink or eat. And I would guess he might not even have slept, but it doesn't say that. And yet he is so full of life that his face is shining the glory of God that the Israelites are afraid to come near him. Why? As it says here, because of his speaking with him, his face shone because of Moses speaking with God. Spending time with God in prayer, pouring out your heart to him, spending time with God in silence, letting him speak to you, fellowshipping with God. This is what will change your heart to turn the anger into mercy. This is what will give you the strength and change your values. And it's not going to happen all at once. It'll happen day by day, step by step, just this day. And so when we talk about putting to death, it is by the Spirit of God. When we talk about putting aside and putting on, what we're talking about is putting off these are evil desires or emotions and putting on Christ's character, the fruit of the Spirit, and accepting it by faith, trusting Him, taking those actions of step, uh, taking those action steps, whether we feel merciful or not, and spending time with God and asking Him to change our heart. He wants to be our breath, our water, our food, our life, because He is our life. Let me just pray. Lord, I'm still convinced we've only scratched the surface. But I pray we would take what we know from your word, from everyone sharing this time, and put this into effect, that we would be seeking you and spending time with you, and that we would shine, shine in our families, shine in our, with our roommates, shine in our neighborhoods at work, uh, with our extended family. Father, I pray that we would be full of your spirit, walking with you, putting to death the flesh by faith, by the power of your spirit, putting aside all these evil things and putting on you and your character because you have offered it to us by grace. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for answering us. And thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.